Welcome to A Shame of Thrones, your weekly recap podcast for expatriate tight end of a TV show, uh, Game of Thrones. My name is Doug. With me, as always, is Brian. And Brian, were you broken up when you heard about Aaron Hernandez's death in jail? Well, first, when you said expatriate, I thought you were going American patriot. I thought you were going to go yeah. Bo Bergdahl. Yeah. Uh, but no, it's not torn up. Um, yeah, fuck that guy. You know, he's supposed to be everything I've read about him. He's middle class dude, nice parents. He just wanted to be a cool gangster so bad. And fuck him. Yeah, fuck like they said he was from like a, a rough hood. And then I was found it was like the middle of Connecticut. And I was like, Connecticut? Fuck you. No, no. Um, I think his dad did die when he was early. Tragic. Oh, but, uh, if you squander that much talent and fortune, go fuck yourself. I was just thinking about it. Uh, the Patriots like won like two or three uh super bowl since he was there and they probably the i think he missed with injury the year they went like 17 and one or whatever it was the near perfect season um but that two tight end set was unstoppable when they had it going with gronkowski and him anyway this is a little bit uh too much football for this nerd podcast that we're doing about uh game of thrones uh this week we are starting season five season five with the episode one called uh the wars to come so, Brian, you excited for a new season? Uh, party on, Doug. I don't know. Uh, no, I, they, I think I remember enjoying some parts of this season, including uh, maybe my favorite episode, Hard Home. Oh, the Sansa, the Sansa rape? Yeah, oh, God. God. Yeah, you know what? Don't Let's not pick up on this uh, topic because podcasts might be canceled if we don't. Just okay, all right, all right. But, uh, oh. but yeah, this is definitely an uneven to historically bad season um and this this first episode did not uh was not a stunner let's say in my opinion your initial thoughts no it was fine um i think i enjoyed the recap more than the episode but episode was fine yeah all right so let's jump right in so uh let's see the episode starts with uh two young girls walking through a forest one's a brunette one's a blonde and the brunette's worried about uh what they're doing really concerned about what the blonde's father is gonna say if he finds out uh, the blonde girl says, you don't have to worry about my father. Kind of insinuating that she should be afraid of her. Instead, anyway, they arrive at the home of a, a woods witch who is pretty hot, I gotta say. For a woods witch, you know, you'd think like the teeth would be missing or something. No, pretty pretty good looking. And uh, the girls say they're there to learn their future. Uh, the woods witch isn't down with uh, doing anything for dumb little girls that just come barging into her home. So, uh she doesn't want to do it, but the uh, blonde girl threatens uh, the wrath of her father, so her father is somebody important if she doesn't comply, and she does. Uh, but it requires uh, to taste the blood, so we get more blood magic. Um, yeah. We've seen blood magic happen several times in this uh, show. Uh, so yeah, the little blonde girl cuts herself, and the woods witch sucks on her finger. Tells her she has three questions. Um, the first... Uh, you know, who will she marry the prince? And she says, no. Um, and she says, "Do but will I still be queen? She says, yes, you will be queen. You will marry the king. I think that's the second question. Who knows? Uh, and you'll be queen until a younger and prettier uh, someone will cast you down, which isn't good. Um, how many children will I have? Uh, the king will have 20 and you will have three. And the little girl thinks that's impossible, but she's dumb, naive. And then uh, she says those three kill kids um, will have all have golden hair and golden funeral shrouds, so they're all going to die. Uh, and the girls leave frightened. 
And it is revealed that the blonde girl is Cersei, and we smash cut to Cersei in the present. And she's on her way to her daddy's funeral. And actually, let's stop. Let's stop there. Right. Let's stop there. So uh, first, these uh, these two are terrible teens. But uh, I wanted to point out as a starting point that despite uh, I think in recent episodes in the uh, in the after the episode D and D have said, oh, flashbacks are are for yep. stupid people. Yep. Hey, guess what? Flashback. But this is a uh, you know this had so much more weight in the books. Um, well, yeah, it seems this- just thrown here, and it it really isn't called mm-hmm. back upon. I think she mentions it once to Jamie later in the season. Yes, um, but yeah, and, it's not really like mentioned again. So, and this is actually I think where all the Valencar stuff was revealed in the book. Is that correct? That is correct. So why don't you tell us the legend of Valencar? Oh yeah, you're right. I think she left out the whole Valencar thing in this. Yes. Uh, Exactly. Oh, well, okay, so Valencar, or Valencar, I don't know, there's a Q in there. Uh, forgive me, I don't know my high Valerian, but it's a Valerian word that essentially means brother. So basically saying that the Valencar, when, um, you know, everything turns to ash in your mouth, the Valencar will wrap his hands around your throat uh, until you die. Basically, she's going to get killed by her brother. Now, the obvious, uh, her obvious uh assumption is that it's going to be Tyrion that tries to kill her or is going to kill her which i think is why she hates Tyrion even more uh besides the whole killing her mother to give birth but uh it, it you know obviously it could be Jamie especially the rift in their relationship which is discussed a little bit here um in this show so basically that's it her she's going to die by but i, I think the, the thing is it adds a lot more weight towards if if it was revealed as it is in the books it adds a lot more weight to why she hates Tyrion because not yep. only is she dealing with hey he killed my mother she's also concerned that he is eventually going to kill her as well but uh, plus because it's just the, the it's predictions just, of this sorry this, go ahead. This, the predictions of the frog witch have been coming true in that she had three golden hair children and robert probably did have 20 bastard children throughout the the the, the realm yeah, and I, I I like to get into like what is real magic in the show and what is just um, you know for show, and I think that seeing the future has got to be real magic because that seems to be what, I mean that that would explain how Melisandre was able to you know, I, I don't you know I don't think that the the slugs of Gendry's penis uh, blood uh, made the three kings die. I think Melisandre just saw the future in her fires. So I think yeah. seeing the future is like one of the few real magic things that actually happens in this world. So this seems legit, but it's funny that like uh, it's this it's this cool like psychological thing where uh, if you think the future is going to happen in a certain way and you're afraid of it, you'll make it happen. You'll like it'll be a, well, it's a self. That's right. If I just think about checks coming in the mail, and then what do you know? My grandma sent me five dollars. It was my birthday. Uh, what do you know? I'm on welfare. <laughs> uh, yeah, but the secret is real, guys. <laughs> don't do not have to work uh, anymore. Know, but instead of the Valencar, the, the prediction also explains part of her hatred towards Marge because yep. the witch basically sets it up that Marge will displace her from her her importance. And the fandom also, is going wild. They think it might be Brienne, which is the most creative uh, person. Uh, it could also, because she's obviously got the hots for Jamie, and Jamie kind of has a weird respect slash love for her. And obviously it could be Danny as well, younger. Mm-hmm. More beautiful. Uh, one other cool detail, uh, I thought they uh, they... Set up the images, the initial. I think the lady's name is Maggie. The, the Maggie wizard. the Frog. Yep. Yeah, Maggie the Frog. 
Yeah, they specifically set up her initial. She was the alt right uh, spokesperson meme character oh, of god time. yeah Pe- pepe the wizard um said they set up uh the Im- her initial appearance to uh resemble colonel kurtz from apocalypse now which is one of the more iconic appearances in this show that's dumb uh, all right <laughs> i didn't get i mean once again you're assuming that you're you know i don't know under 20 uh cost you know watcher base has, has seen apocalypse now I mean, I've seen it, but I'm not, I'm, you know, I don't hold it aloft like it's uh, the greatest movie ever made. So that's, I hate shit like that. I hate referential crap. Um, but that's just me. Did you appreciate that? Would you even uh, notice that if you didn't look it up? It did. No, it did look familiar and I did like the shot. Uh, but no, I would, I, I'm not a that level of film buff. But I do appreciate uh, interesting homages. Uh, if it's not too much of a ripoff, yeah, uh, and, it, and it gets around I. having e. to be original. Guy. <laughs> yeah, it yeah, gets exactly. around the whole having to be original and come up with your own great shot. Uh, yeah, so that's great. Uh, but yeah, I guess uh, I really uh, now that you say it, they they kind of throw it in there and they do it half-assed, which is the same thing they do with uh, Dorn, which really pisses me off. Um, yeah. You know, when they end the whole Dorn thing at the beginning of season six, I was happy, but that's like it's only because they did such a shitty job with it to begin with that I just wanted it to be yeah. over. Um, well, and I don't want to belabor the Valencar thing, but I mean, it's to to me the the anger and, and fear and hatred of Cersei is two parts. It's Valencar, and then it's also uh, that she's concerned about her position throughout the whole time. They just chuck Valencar out the window, and it's just her being concerned about her position the rest of her life. Yeah, so, I, yeah. I agree. I, I mean, it could have been yeah. something they could have easily included last season. Um, because it was something we were, I think, I, you know, I don't remember when it was introduced in the books. It might have been when uh, Cersei got her first POV, which might have been the fourth book. Uh, who cares? Let's move on. Yeah. All right. Go ahead. Okay. So we smash cut to the present. Cersei is heading to her dad's funeral. Tywin has been killed by Tyrion, her little brother. And she wants a moment alone with the corpse, uh, the High Septon, uh, you know, protest, but she goes ahead anyway. Jamie's in there standing vigil over his dad's corpse, and they have a little conversation. They don't fuck on top of their dad's corpse, which I guess is a uh, progress. Um, instead, Jamie airs his concerns that uh, you know everything he built for us as built is now ours, and uh, everybody's going to want to take it. The you know, which is you know obviously true, um, but you know instead of this unity that they need to go forward, uh, Cersei can't get over the fact that. Jamie probably set uh, Tyrion free, and he kind of admits to it by not admitting to it. Uh, and she just proceeds to give him a whole bunch of shit, um, saying that he, at least Tyrion, killed his father uh, intentionally, whereas Jamie unintentionally got his father killed. Just laying on the guilt trip pretty hardcore. And I guess this is just here to show a rift between Cersei and uh, Jamie, which they could have been working uh, for a couple seasons now. But, uh, you know, I don't want to go on a famous Dunk Grant, so I'll stop it there. Yeah. Yeah, pretty quick. Uh, Jamie, Cersei turned on Jamie pretty quick after uh, last uh, episode, but uh, I guess that's to be expected when... But I don't even know... I mean, Cersei's not exactly happy with her father at this point, so I, a lot of these relationships are kind of muddy, but uh, I think that's part of the point of it as well. Yep. Yep. All right, so next we go to a shot. Uh, someone is peering out of a hole. Doug, I'm sure you've been on the other side of many of those. Oh, yeah. Of holes, primarily in a... Never mind. But usually uh, a so weaver comes out. 
well, I wasn't going to say it, but uh, there are multiple views, and suddenly the box opens, and Tyrion Lannister spills out with Varys standing there with a crowbar. They are in the garden of some sort, and Tyrion looks like he's been uh, flying United Airlines. Uh, Tyrion expresses his displeasure with his accommodations. Apparently, he's been shoving his poops to the air holes while Varys has been throwing his poops overboard. I really enjoyed the Varys throwing his poop overboard <laughs> thing. Yeah, I, I wondered if he had like a little kitty litter scooper or what he did or... He just picked them up, or I don't know, because they didn't have paper towels back then. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's no uh, Lysol wipes or anything. It's he just... didn't have latex gloves. Uh, I don't know. Anyways, uh, Varys explains they're in some kind of uh, anti-Robert Illuminati hangout. I'm, I wasn't sure what that was. Uh, Tyrion becomes philosophical whether uh, he's still a lord if he murdered his father. Tyrion begins to pound wine, um, as I guess he has throughout his trip to where he is. Uh, Varys wants him to uh, asks if it's a wise idea that he keeps uh, drinking wine when there's so much to do. Uh, he wants Tyrion to go meet. Uh, oh, actually, that's later. I'm sorry. Uh, then uh, Tyrion uh, pukes up some fresh wine and rallies and begins drinking again immediately. Yeah. So Varys basically lays out the plan that um, him and Illyrio, who we saw in season one, he was a somewhat portly guy in the book. He's humongous. Um, but they, I guess they didn't feel the need to recast him, which I thought was dumb. Uh, they're staying at this guy's house, and they don't even show him. So Illyrio yeah. was the guy that uh, set up the marriage between uh, Danny and uh, Count Drogo. I'm going to call him Count. Oh, it's Cal. Whatever. I think Count sounds better. I'm going to call him Count Drogo. Anyway, okay. uh, yeah, that was the guy. Do you remember him? Oh, yeah, absolutely. That he was Illyrio. very disappointed he wasn't like this enormous fat guy. Yes. And I still am. I'm I'm even more disappointed that he's not there because in the book it's just uh, Tyrion is set on the boat and he's greeted on the other side by Illyrio. So instead of recasting and having somebody fill the Varys role and Varys disappears for an entire book, uh, right. they just had Varys do double duty here. But I think it's still bullshit they didn't recast the guy. I mean they're staying at this fucking house. Um, but let's see. Uh, uh, I they, they too. But I, I do ahead. think that that's a. I, I mean, I do think that's a decent shortcut. I, I don't want to complain. No, that no, much I, I do too. Yeah. But they should have just had Illyrio go. Hey, I'm Illyrio. How's it going? All right, I'm gonna go uh, take us like a bath, and then yeah. see ya. That's yeah. it. Mm-hmm. I, I don't. I yeah. Still have Barry's there. Just acknowledge Illyrio's existence and psh, sweep it under the rug. That's fine. Um, but yeah, the the. <laughs> so uh, this is a nod to book readers. Yeah, I remember getting um, a Dance Dragon, the fifth book, and Feast for Crows didn't have a lot of our favorite characters in it, primarily Tyrion. And Tyrion's first chapter started off with Tyrion Lannister drank himself across the narrow sea, and you're like, "Fuck yeah!" That's just such like a hardcore way to start a chapter and to like get reunited with your favorite character. Just he's a just a depressed alcoholic drinking in a box. Okay, I don't know. I thought it was pretty badass, but uh, yeah, they, I just I was I questioned your uh, personal guitar solo. <laughs> That's pretty good. Anyway, um, all right, okay, so uh, yeah, and this is all trying to make us uh, gr- uh get us familiar with depressed Tyrion, which is kind of lame. Nobody likes depressed Tyrion, uh, but I think he gets over it relatively quickly. Um, I don't know when he meets up with Jorah, maybe he livens up a little bit, but. Uh, He's down in the dumps, and they're they're landing on thick. Yes, absolutely. <sighs> okay, 
So moving on, um, <laughs> we're greeted with a, a scene uh, like the Second Iraq War where we toppled the statue of Saddam Hussein. Uh, Danny's people are toppling the harpy statue atop the Great Pyramid of Marine. It falls. It looks like a very expensive scene, and it just seems like a waste of money to me. And they could add. Some you think more that was CGI? Wolves. No, I think they actually did that. I think it was all practical effects. <laughs> but uh, you know, I would have rather had a dire wolf in the fucking show for half an episode than than this goddamn bullshit. Anyway, yeah, no one, of, yeah one of the unsullied is there, uh, and after helping complete the task, he heads off strangely to go visit a prostitute. But instead of sex, he wants a. Uh, what would you call it? The mommy experience, uh, where the woman takes off her shirt and just holds him in bed and hums to him like a lullaby. Uh, and before he can come, his throat is slit by uh, by a dude in the room who's wearing a mask. Uh, we cut to the throne room, and Danny learns of this and discovers that it's a uh, a group of insurrection uh, folks called the Sons of the Harpy, who are basically gonna start a guerrilla campaign against the conquerors um and the occupiers there's a new teenage boy advisor called masandor masador anyway he advises caution and tells danny what's what but she's pretty blunt with him saying that um she wants to unsullied uh the fallen guy the guy's guy's throat slit his name's white rat by the way uh he wants she wants him buried in a holy temple uh, the Temple of the Graces or something. Uh, Masador says there'll be more violence, and she says, "Shut the fuck up." I agree. I don't know where this guy came from. Um, and then uh, later we cut to uh, Masandi, and she's talking to Grey Worm, all shy, um, asking why the Unsullied would be at a brothel. Um, and Grey Worm says he doesn't know. And I just wrote, "Damn, Masandi's really trying to make this whole sex thing happen." You know, first she was asking, do they do they take all of it or just some of it? She's wondering if she could, <laughs> I don't know, make something happen. <laughs> she seems... Jesus, dog. No, no, are, uh, I'm being... All right, so that's jokingly, but seriously, why is she asking all these questions if not to superimpose the questions onto Grey Worm? I, she likes him. You don't have to make it so purient. <laughs> she no, she's, she's asking about Grey Worm's genitalia when she asked Danny. Uh, well, we all have questions. Uh, well, um. Yeah, we'd all. <laughs> but Miss Sandy has a vested interest in Grey Worm. She doesn't ask, like, what's his favorite color? She's asking about his junk. She's asking why an Unsullied would be at a brothel. She's just, she's, her mind is in the gutter. Okay, Brian? Sure, fair enough. So I, this, uh, you know, I remember the first time I watched the show, I thought the beginning of the Sons of Harpy stuff was intriguing because there's this menacing new force uh, undercutting everything. But then um, now in watching it in retrospect, uh, yeah, uh, because yeah, as we talk boring. about much in later episodes, the Sons of the Harpy storyline, at least in terms of the show, just never makes a whole lot of sense. And nope. It doesn't wrap up very well. and It's pretty stupid. Yeah, it just doesn't seem to have very defined like uh, rules or limits, or we never get a great sense of who's doing it. It's re- it's it's too much much of a mystery to like make any sense, especially when like like all of them take over that fucking like stadium at the end of the season. Yeah. It's just crazy. Yeah, exactly. So and we never quite understand. I mean, I think they later explain it's mercenaries, but uh, eh, it's just silly. So in rewatch in the rewatch here, it's. Uh, 
I, I'm not happy because I know this is a storyline that is prominent in season five. So I know this is just leading to that storyline. Can't wait. Yep, yep, yep. So next we go back to Castle Black. Uh, John is training the eventual turncoat Ollie. Uh, we, cut to, we transition to Gilly asks why Sam is in training, but he makes excuses. Uh, he already killed a Thed and a White Walker. Probably the only member of the Night's Watch who's ever done that. Uh, also, he probably doesn't just doesn't want to look bad in front of Gilly. Well, plus I've, um, I I agree. You should be able to test out of some courses, you know. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, so Thorn, we next go to Thorn. He's surveying the yard, and he tells Slint everyone is still a punk uh, while sending some real bad vibes towards Gilly. Uh, Gilly is worried that if uh, or Sam and Gilly are worried that if Thorn is elected uh, to the uh, uh, what, what's the term that uh, what post did Mormont hold prior? Uh, uh, Grand Dragon. Right, Grand Dragon. So. <laughs> Uh, which I don't think they really tell you uh, that the position of Grand Dragon has been vacant since Mormont was killed. So eventually we're going to have a uh, uh, an election here soon, but I don't think that's really evident in the show. Next, Mel arrives to tell Jon Snow Stannis wants to talk. Uh, Mel and Jon take the elevator ride to the top of the wall. While Mel really uh, makes eyes at Jon, proselytizes the Lord of Light, and then asks Jon if he's ever bowed down, uh, which Jon replies he has, and Mel is very excited about that. Uh, John arrives at the top of the wall to speak to Stannis. Stannis re, uh, recounts what happened to Rob, and then uh, Coach intervenes and questions John's loyalty to the uh, to the Night's Watch, bringing up that other brothers are concerned about John's loyalty, uh, specifically because uh, they saw John dragging Egret beyond the wall, makes them think that he might have more loyalty to the Wildlings than than to the Night's Watch. Uh, Stannis then begins his recruitment pitch. He apparently wants the Wildlings to join in his army. He will make them citizens of the realm if he fights for them, which is interesting because I think they're supposed to be subjects, not citizens. I don't know if that's a... Uh, oh, weird. A, a, yeah. Yeah, I don't know if that's a writer mistake or if that's a, spe- a specific... That's probably a writer mistake for sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then he uh, Stannis makes it clear that he wants John. To be the go-between uh, between him and Mance, and that John has until nightfall to convince Mance to convince all of his people to join in Stannis' battle against the rest of the nation. Which begs the question, would the entire rest of Westeros rise up against uh, a, an, a wildling army, Stannis or no Stannis? I mean, maybe I don't know the north they would be okay with that. But maybe the north, but even the people, people down south probably don't even know about the wildlings. <laughs> probably just all, you know, legend yeah, tales. Yeah, Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so a couple things. Um, we get mention of the Shadow Tower. I think in one of the episodes previous, we were talking about how they don't even acknowledge the other manned yes. uh, castles along the wall. But Sam, when he's talking to Gilly about other people that might be named Lord Commander instead of um, um, Thorn, I'm sorry, Grand Wizard or Goblin, whatever the the clan type of uh, uh, naming. Yeah, we get the have. joke. Just move on. Well, I didn't think some people might not. Anyway, um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, he mentions uh, Malister at the Shadow Tower, so that's kind of cool. And yeah, and Mel definitely gives John the fuck me eyes. And she asks, when she asks, are you a virgin? I thought of the Breakfast Club, or I can't remember the guy's name. He goes, are you a virgin? I'll bet you $100 that you are. Uh, thought that was really cool. I just saw that movie the other day, so maybe I'm Judd just- Nelson? Yeah, Judd Nelson. That's his name in the show, in the movie. Great. Uh, and I like how they referred to, um, or Davos introduces John to Stannis as the bastard of Winterfell, which is awesome. Yeah. 
That's a great name for a band, I think. Um, well, Stannis loves to call people bastard. He does. He loves to call anybody by the title that they might not well, imply company want to hear, but is their accurate title. Well, so. he's he's all exactly. about the rules. That's Stannis. Yes. Thing. So he he's just mm-hmm. about the rules in general. Um, so uh, one thing, yeah, Stannis is um, his uh, strategy here to make up uh, people in his army of people that were conquered. It doesn't sound like a great uh, strategy. Uh, but I guess it's worked in the past. I mean, this is what the Romans did. But at least, like, Stannis is offering, like, a tit-for-tat saying, hey, yeah, you can have lands and you can be uh, a subject of the realm as long as you fight for me. That sounds like a pretty good quid pro quo. Yeah, I agree. And it's actually kind of what what becomes later, or at least a, a facsimile thereof, you know? Yeah, not not bad. All right, moving on. This is the moment you guys have all been waiting for. The return of the idiot titsucker. That's right. Yes. He is back, and he is swinging a sword like a girl with palsy uh, in the practice shard. Uh, Littlefinger and Sansa and Jans, Bronn, Royce are all chatting about little Robin and how terrible he is at fighting. Um, Littlefinger says he does have a great skill being born with a powerful last name. And that's all Littlefinger is really concerned about. Uh, and Littlefinger is going to leave uh, Sweet Robin in Jan, Ron John Royce's, uh, I guess, charge to raise him. Uh, just keep tabs on him while him and Sansa go off uh, west is what they tell uh, Jan's Ron Royce. But we can learn that that is not the case later. Yeah, and actually uh, I read online that they based... Um they based uh, the idiot Titsucker's fighting on Jermaine, the, the footage of Jermaine when he was the Star Wars kid. Yeah, people don't know this, but uh, co-host uh, of the Shameful Dead, our sister podcast, Jermaine, and sometimes host sister here. of mine. Yeah, well, uh, <laughs> is uh, the kid from the Star Wars uh, lightsaber garage scene. I don't know. That's kind of an old meme. Like that's probably like a, it's, I know, but it's like actually in a him, printed so. history book. Like me, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. No, he's he's actually the it's based on the parody of him when he played Michael Bluth. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You kids yeah, might be more familiar with the rest of development. Um <laughs> But yeah, he, he he was uh he was not very good with the sword. Yeah. And it and it's all his mother's doing. Like, I mean, it seems ridiculous and for comedy, but really his mom was letting him breastfeed to the age of what, thirteen? So it's not surprising yeah. that this kid never wielded a sword, uh, whereas Jan's, Bronze, Royce, Rolls Royce, uh, his children have been using a sword since they were two or whatever. So It's bad parenting. No question about it. Yeah, yeah it's bad parenting. You need to get a sword in your toddler's hands as soon as possible. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Get that kid in a fight club. Uh, so next we go to Brienne and Pod. They're in a field, probably still north uh, near the Bloody Gate. Uh, they're bedding down for the night. Pod wants to know what the plan is, but Brienne apparently wants him to skedaddle now that he is uh, safe from the from the Lannisters. Jamie just uh, primarily sent Pod along with Brienne to, to protect him because he was uh, Tyrion's former squire. Uh, Brienne moans that there's no one left to follow. Uh, that's kind of not much to that scene. I guess I think it's just meant to check in with them and, and yeah. just illustrate how they're kind of aimless at this point. Yeah, and I don't think the showrunners know what the fuck to do with them right now either. 
Um, yeah. I just wrote here, Brienne is so emo in this scene. Yeah, big time, especially because she just beat like one of the greatest warriors in the country. I mean, I, I, I guess she doesn't really have a way to affect her promises to Kat, but for Christ's sakes, just go do something, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Her, she's just being annoying here. And that's, yeah. you know, she's not lovable in this scene, unfortunately. And no, no, I don't know what, it, yeah, there's no real point to the scene besides, yes, just checking in on them and just saying, Hey, yeah, they don't show sure they're kind of, they're kind of rudderless at this point. Yeah. But they, that's she, not good. That's not a good way to leave it. They should, they should have something no. going on. No, no. Uh, so next we go to Sansa and Littlefinger and they are in a carriage. Uh, apparently Littlefinger gave Royce a fake itinerary. Sansa wonders where they're going. Um, and also speculates as to whether the men guarding them will be loyal. Littlefinger says, uh, they've seen what I do to other people who are not loyal, and I pay them lots of money. Uh, Sansa asks where they were going. Littlefinger cryptically says that they're going where Cersei can't get her hands on Sansa. And we're left completely in the dark as to where they're heading next. Spoiler alert, though, we know they're going to Winterfell, right? Yes. Yeah. <sighs> Yeah, and the beginning of uh, just absolute awful story number eight for season five. Yep. So, yeah. Dan- Dorn- yeah, it's also this- weird the way they there, – there seems to be a degree of mutual respect here. And also Littlefinger appears to be recognizing that Sir, that uh, Sansa has matured and actually could be a player if she wants to be at this point. And then, Which is just frustrating uh, when she's not made a player at all. Yeah, and you know what? We've, we've belabored this point so yes, many times. Have. It goes out the window. So let's move on. Okay, so moving on. We're at uh, Tywin's funeral after party, and people are schmoozing. Uh, Loras Tyrell is hysterically still trying to bond with Cersei, uh, I guess, believing <laughs> that they're still going to get married now that uh, Tywin's dead. Uh, although he says later in a scene that they definitely won't. So I don't know why he's trying to be nice here, besides maybe he's just a nice guy. Uh, she blows him off. Uh, and also blows off Pycel as he tries to say something about, I never trusted Varys. Anyway, she runs into Lancel, the cousin that she was fucking in season one, and he is now uh, some kind of populist hippie monk um, named uh, Sparrow by the popular movement. Uh, and um, Lancel's dad, which is Kevin Lannister, uh, Tywin's brother, tells her all about this uh, in an exposition dump. Later, uh, she finds Lancel in private, and Lancel wants to offer amends uh, in some kind of 12-step program, uh, apologizing to the people he's wrong, saying he's sorry that he stooped her and sorry that he helped her kill the king by just getting him drunk on a um, whatever hunting trip. Once again, that wouldn't bother my conscience, but uh, you know, I guess I'm not Lancel Lannister. Uh, he gives... Uh, Cersei the old, I will pray for you, slash your dad's soul, and pieces out. So, not much uh, but just setting up the whole Sparrow movement, which will become big uh, in this season and in season six. No, I did kind of like, uh, did like Cersei just completely facepalming everyone around there. I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah. Especially just completely ignoring uh, Loras. Yeah, which is great. I mean, it was great. Yeah, great uh, comedically, for sure. Yeah, still so, uh, just okay. So next we go to Loras, and he is naked in bed with a dude. Uh, they're going over Loras's scars. 
uh, dudes dig dudes with, with scars. Um, they start to get naughty, then discuss. Uh, That's what my how, dad always told me. He's like, dudes dig dudes with scars. Absolutely. They discuss how uh, Loris has a birthmark that looks like uh, Dorn, and then also that Loris's dong looks like the fingers. <laughs> so, <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, that's terrible. <laughs> Reminiscent Sorry. of what was it? Uh, Armageddon <laughs> with uh, the animal crackers. Do you remember that? Liv Tyler and uh, no, no, you don't remember Armageddon. It's it's no. almost as bad as uh, episode two, Attack of the Clones, romance. Uh, uh, it's like sand. <laughs> oh yes, it felt <laughs> yeah. like sand. It felt like sand. It's coarse. Um, anyway, so they start to get naughty, uh, and then also discuss how. Um, they want to uh, let's see. They want to travel with each other. When Marge blo- barges in, says that they're late for dinner. Marge continues to cock block until uh, Oliver or Alava gets the point and leaves. Um, Cersei implores Loras to be more discreet around the the uh, with his affairs, but Loras wonders why he should be more discreet because everyone knows uh, he is a debuggery. And uh, at this point, you know it's. I, in retrospect, of course, it, it, it plays off of the scene prior uh, with Kevin Lannister, how there's this new... Uh, well, yeah, I wanted, you know, I wanted to point out that. That's the only... I, I asked myself, what the fuck does this scene do yeah. um, besides fill uh, the salacious quote, quota that HBO has? Uh, but the only thing I can think of is, yeah, playing off the previous scene with these holy rollers coming into town and it being this weird, you know, anti-sin, anti-this and... Uh, so you juxtapose what's wrong right. versus what versus the what, what they believe is perversions and right. Also, um, man, they really up the uh, dude butt quotient in this one between this and Dario. Oh yeah, I guess. Yeah, a lot of dude butts, but and we got we hey, got you know some, yeah. You know what, ladies, we did ladies? get we you're you're welcome because we did get <laughs> some titties in the beginning with uh, uh, the unsullied guy hooking up with the. Um, uh, with that that prostitute in the brothel, we got to see some nips, uh, mm-hmm. and some bush. I think for a second, uh, but that is definitely outweighed by the three butts, man butts that we got to see. So some nice butts, too. So, ladies, I don't want you ever complaining about <laughs> sexual oh, men. And actually, to finish out that, it's scene, all uh, Mar- equal now. Oh God! Uh, so <laughs> next up, Marge and Lawrence also. Discuss their fates with with Tyrion dead, and Marge kind of uh, Loras assumes that Marge will be heading back to Highgarden, or won't be hanging around any longer. And uh, Marge hints, you know, maybe not. Yeah, you never know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, he does say that there's no way that they're getting married. Um, uh, there, there's no way that uh, whatever Cersei and him the are getting married. Marriage arrangements are not going to go through without time. Yep. And then what forward. is Marge going to do? Murder Cersei? I mean, she might. I mean, she. I mean, her grandma just murdered her uh, ex husband, uh, Joffrey, yeah. for Christ's sake. So we know the Martells are not against, uh, or the Tyrells are not against murdering uh, uh, people. So, who no knows? question. Okay, so uh, going back to Pentos, where I guess Pentos just consists of uh, Illyrio's mansion, we have Tyre, uh, Tyrion and Varys doing some day drinking, and they're chatting, uh, mainly just Tyrion drinking. Uh, but he says, he asks uh, Varys why the fuck he helped him escape. Varys says he did it for the good of the Seven Kingdoms. Um, 
says he doesn't believe in saviors, but he believes in able-bodied men in the wars to come. They're going to need people like that. Uh, and tries to entice Tyrion into helping him uh, go out and earn power instead of inheriting it. Um, basically, Vari says he wants a kinder, gentler leadership class, unlike the jerks that are currently ruling the Seven Kingdoms in uh, Westeros. Um, says he knows who would make a great, uh, perfect king, uh, and he wants to know if uh, Tyrion is up for joining him on the journey to Marine to meet Danny, and he says as long as he can drink himself to death on the way, that's fine. Yeah, I, you know, one, one thing that struck me while watching this scene is whether this is, um, you know, we've talked a lot about how things are not set on the show unless there's some serious meaning behind it, or at least in terms of the book. So I wonder if this, we're actually supposed to believe that, uh, or at least be able to read into this scene enough that that's actually where it's going, if you know what I mean. That eventually, sir, uh, what's her nuts? Gosh, uh, sorry, long wait, Doug. That uh, that uh, Danny will be queen, and Tyrion will actually help her become the queen. Well, that's the plan uh, now, I guess. Spoiler alert: in the end of season six, uh, in the present, yeah. I guess. And that's that's what I always that's what always bothered me about the show is uh, Vari's motivations seem so transparent. Mm-hmm. He said several times it's for the good of the realm, and that's what he says in the books, but it's never. That's never really confirmed. Like we don't ever see inside of Vari's uh, mind, and he does some pretty underhanded shit. So we don't know exactly what he's trying to do. Yeah, yeah. So I, I don't know. I just I wondered if this was just like a roadmap for the rest of the series. But um, I think so. I think I, I think yeah. so. I, I, whenever whenever we you have the choice to err on the side of simple answer for the show, I would say yes. That is yeah. exactly the roadmap for Tyrion's character. He's going to help. And even in the promotional, I mean, he's the hand of the queen now. Uh, that even happened in the um, the end of season six, and we see that he has the hand of the king or queen uh, pin in the promotional photos for this new episode or new season, season seven. Certainly. So, certainly. So, so he's definitely helping her get the crown. Yep. All right. So next uh, we go to Dario, and uh, I just forget that dude's his name, uh, but they're returning from Yunkai. They have attempted to make a deal with Yunkai. Yunkai is seeking concessions or concessions. Um, the Mize Masters apparently request the reopening of the fighting pits where men fought to the death. Apparently, everyone wants to reopen the fighting pits except Danny, who rudely refuses. It cuts to Danny and Dario discussing the fighting pits in a sweet shot of Dario's rear end. Uh, Dario says, uh, that uh, he tells this whole story about his mother being a prostitute. Yeah, what a snooze fest. I don't know. I, I guess he's good at fighting and made him who he was. Uh, but this is all made up. Uh, I think in the books, he's just a sellsword from Tyrosh, and that's that's it. I guess it's meant to be an instor- inspiring tale about how the fighting pits can make a man a man. But uh, in reality, he's probably killed dozens of people yeah. in the fighting pits, many of them slaves. So. Yeah, and I wrote here, this is a shitty sample size because like yeah, you have one exactly. guy who's like, yeah, man, the fighting pits were great. Uh, meanwhile, yeah. he's probably killed dozens of people who it wasn't so great. They're just dead. Yeah. So well, and Danny's I mean, like, maybe this is a good idea. I mean, dozens would assume just like a, a prized fighter from 2016 or 17 schedule. I mean, I don't know. You would think, what, like, every week they, they probably fight? Potentially, yeah. I mean, he could be, he've killed hundreds of people for all we know. 
Yeah. So anyway, there's some more talking. Um, eventually, Danny expresses her concerns about her misbehaving dragons. Apparently, Drogon is MIA. She goes to visit the other two who are very upset. Um, someone needs to call the Department of Dragon and Family Services because this seems like dragon abuse. Um, dragons get very upset, but luckily she doesn't get burned. Um, I don't know. Bored by uh, this whole scene. I'm I'm glad yeah. you were born with the recap because it's just it's just boring. Uh, but the guy whose name you can't remember is Hisdar. Hisdar, uh, yep. And I don't like how they're portraying them. They're portraying him as a as a true altruist. Where in the book he he has a vested financial interest in opening up the uh, fighting pits. He actually like once Danny <laughs> banned slavery, he bought them all up. So he like uh you know he's just trying to rig the system. You know he bought when the <laughs> whatever buy low sell high kind of a guy, and he's trying to make the value go up. So he's transparently like kind of a sleazy guy in the book, but he's also a very powerful guy. Um, so that's why Danny sees value in him. Um, so I think he, it's the opposite of the show. Yeah, he's, he's a complete like not very powerful, and he's, right. he's, he seems somewhat altruistic. In the yeah, show. he's just a sap in the show, and it's not nearly as interesting. Uh, mm. But whatever, I guess it's simpler. Whatever. Um, yeah. But yeah, the. I could care less about the dragons. It's just like checking on the dragons. She put them in a cave last at the end of last episode or season. Let's check in on them. Yep, they're still in a cave. And guess what? They don't like being in the cave. Great. Yeah, because especially because it's even though they're trying to target your heartstrings, you know these things are going to get freed eventually, and you know they're yeah. going to play. You're a key right. Role, they're not. So. Yeah, like we full suspense. There is no. I mean, you might have been surprised by Ned Stark's uh, death in season one, but there's no way you're like. Oh, and then Danny's dragons never got to grow to maturity. They just died in the cave and were never seen again. Just like you know, James Bond will never die. I mean, it's same same thing. Well, if he dies, he'll come back, and or you know, he'll have a twin brother. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, yeah, not much more to say. Uh, so let's just move on. All right. So in the last scene, that's also a goddamn snooze fest. Dan, uh, Dan, uh, John Snow goes to visit Mance Raider in his cell uh, to do Stannis' bidding and try to convince Mance to uh, kneel, surrender, give his blessing for the wildlings to join his forces. But Mance is being obstinate, saying um, mainly that he doesn't want his people to fight and die for Stannis Baratheon. They followed him. He doesn't want to... They bled enough. He doesn't want them to fight for somebody else in a foreign war. So yeah, John keeps trying to convince him, but failing. Uh, Mance is pretty steadfast, and there's just a lot of talking. It's blah 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 blah. Uh, Mance is a little taken aback when he learns that he is to be executed by being burned alive, uh, but still, he'd rather die than betray his people. Uh, so a lot more talking. Uh, nothing else happens later that night. He uh, Mance, that is, is escorted to the pyre in chains. Stannis gives him one last chance to kneel and live. Uh, but we get the titular line for the second time this episode when Mance wishes Stannis good luck in the wars to come. Uh, he is then strapped to the pyre and Melisandre says a little prayer. Um, the prayer has to do about making a choice between gods and kings, which one is truth or the real one, which one is the false one. Um, and this is what happens when you follow the false one. And as she lights him up, uh, Tormund and a few other wildlings are standing witness as well as everybody in the Might's Watch and King Stannis' men or uh, 
uh, the King's Watch, as Brian named it last week. Um, so uh, just before Mance, you know, Mance is slowly burning and he's going, <laughs> and just before he can cry out, John shoots him with an arrow in his heart so he doesn't have to show uh, pain and how weak he is. And once again, Hanzo gets play of the game. Boring. John would be a Hanzo main. He is for sure. Yeah. Uh, I don't have a lot to say. I, you know, I just, um, uh, I, I'll, I'll say it right now. I hated this machismo bullshit about like, uh, man's dying without crying out like a woman. He was being burned alive and yeah. whether he cried out or whether or not it's stupid, it's, it's just this, like it doesn't mean anything. He uh, fuck these writers. They should go right for the Fast and Furious movies. Yeah, I do think that uh, <laughs> what's her name, uh, Shireen's mother, Stannis's wife. Yeah, uh, Shalise. Shalise should have uh, nudged Shireen and said, "That's gonna be you." <laughs> <laughs> uh, Unless up. you straighten out. Um, I, yeah, I, I thought this kind of petered out, and uh, this God. The, with the the music and the final speech and all this stuff, I think that the writers thought that this was going to have a lot more impact. Yeah, and it, it didn't. I thought it did. Yeah, I thought it was just kind of a snooze. I, I don't know anybody uh, who. I mean, guys, let us know. Sam Shoe, we've we haven't heard from you in a while. Let us know. Sammy. <laughs> this this was not a great way to end the episode. Uh, yeah. Boring. I mean, in yeah, the, I agree. In the book, there's a lot more intrigue because the person who gets burned alive is actually Rattleshirt, who has been magicked by Melisandre to look like Mance Raider. Dude, uh, Christ, I forgot about you, all of this stuff. It's, it's, you can tell why the show decided not to do this, but at the same yeah, time... That's insane. It is yeah. insane. But yeah. at the same time, uh, you know, it, it's a little bit... It makes it's more interesting scene in that situation. And still, John knows it's not Mance. He knows it's Rattleshirt and still doesn't want the guy to die, so he has him shot with arrows... But he doesn't do the shooting himself, or if he does, it's with a whole bunch of other dudes. He like orders other men of the Night's Watch to shoot him. Um, and my biggest question here, the the most intri- intriguing or interesting part of this whole deal is, what were they trying to make happen? What was Melisandre's magical plan for this King's Blood sacrifice? What was his oh, gosh, What was yeah. his intention? Because we all know that she wants to use King's Blood. Uh, in a sacrifice to make some magic happen. What did they want to melt snow? Did they want to kill a king like they did yeah. with Genji's blood? What's the deal? Seems like a, a waste of precious resources. I, I don't know. No, I don't have any clue. Uh, uh, other yeah. than make a point to the wildlings? I don't know. Yeah, that's that's silly. Yeah, it's their leader, but like King's blood is a is a thing and uh and I guess they don't acknowledge Mance is a true king, I guess, but in the book Yeah. Uh, there's a whole baby swap. Not only is there a Mance swap with a uh, rattle shirt, but there's also a baby swap with Gilly that we've talked about before. And the reason yeah. that they did the baby swap was the baby was in danger because it had King's blood, i.e. Mace's blood or Mance's blood. Um, so that's why the baby had to go. So I don't know what this whole ceremony was for besides, yeah, just a PR stunt for the wildlings. Yeah, I don't know either. Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, and I don't think it's ever answered. Great. So let's end this podcast unsatisfactorily like uh, <laughs> this episode was ended. Uh, and let me get your rating here. Uh, t- I, I, it's somewhere between a two and a, and a two and a half, I think. I'm going to give it a two. I'm going to give it below yeah. average just because 
the the way it ended. I really didn't care about the Danny uh, thing. We're checking in on Danny, and I don't care about marine politics. I don't care about the dragons because you're right; it's false suspense. And I really didn't care about Mance. Uh, not that compelling yeah. of a character. And uh, to bring that back around, uh, it's somewhere between a homemade tuna salad sandwich and a homemade egg salad sandwich. So I don't like any salads that don't like aren't really salads. And I don't know what kind of person from the 1800s decided to make uh, mayonnaise-based things <laughs> salads. <laughs> uh, but they should be shot. Uh, a salad has lettuce in it. And no, not at all. Yep. Chicken salad? No, man. You're thinking Should- too narrowly. You need to expand your mind, bro. Oh, no, man. Okay. Uh, well, that's great. Uh, great start to this uh, fifth season here. Um, we have been doing this podcast for over a year now. It's felt that long, and I hope it's felt that long for you guys, too. Uh, but we somehow enjoy it? Question mark? Yeah, man. Come on. Yeah, well, it's great a, stuff. It's, let's go on a positive note for once instead of you doing your little sad sack. Okay, well, a positive note. Let's see. I am thankful for Totino's pizza rolls. Oh, God. I just lost all interest. <laughs> all right, got it. Okay, guys. Uh, thank you very much for uh, listening, and we'll see you next Tuesday. Take care.